Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. The transportation industry is rapidly evolving. We're seeing changes in how we define resiliency and equity, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and using emerging and innovative technology. These changes, alongside IIJA's investment to strengthen the workforce, have stirred conversations on how to best support the next leaders of this sector to strengthen current projects and face future challenges. Current transportation projects being developed include reconnecting communities that were once left out of opportunities, electric vehicle adoption, building a resilient infrastructure against cyber threats and extreme weather, and building an equitable transportation system. Today's DOT staff and stakeholders are spearheading these projects, but how can today's directors best equip tomorrow's leaders? Joining us today are leaders in the transportation sector working toward preparing young professionals in leading tomorrow's transportation sector. Sarah Stickler is the president and CEO of WTS International. WTS advances women's careers and strengthens their leadership skills while making an impact in the transportation sector. Thomas Davidenko is the director of programs at the Young Professionals in Transportation, a nonprofit organization that supports new professionals in the transportation sector through fellowship, professional development, and networking opportunities. Our third speaker is Alicia Walker, Director of Programs and Strategic Engagement at the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials, where she works to advance minorities in the transportation space and position tomorrow's leaders for rapidly evolving global opportunities. Sarah, Thomas, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us on Ashto's ETAP podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Why don't we start off, Thomas? You are the director of the programs in young professionals and transportation sector. Why don't you tell us a little bit about YPT and what it does, if you would, please? YPT is a professional development organization for young professionals in transportation. We were started in 2008 as a single chapter in Washington, D.C., and we've grown to 25 chapters across North America. Basically, we uh, host events that allow young professionals in the industry to network, meet mentors, and just form a community in the transportation industry. And we also host tours, happy hours, speaker series events, virtual events, in-person events, you name it. YPT, Comto, and WTS, I think all share a common goal overall in terms of getting people who maybe have not been as well represented in the transportation industry in the past, more well represented. So Alicia, why don't we start with you asking a little bit about what Comto is involved with YPT and some of the things that you're doing to get young professionals more involved in the transportation industry. Sure. So just a little history about the organization. Comto's 52-year-old organization founded at Howard University, focused on equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility in the transportation industry. The focus of Comto is simple. We want the face of transportation leadership and its workforce to reflect the community served. We want equity, diversity, inclusion to become a standard operating procedure, business as usual, not a tag word, but it's business as usual. Comptel's mission is to ensure opportunities and maximum participation 
in transportation for the underrepresented through leadership, training, professional development, scholarship, internship, funding, advocacy, partnership, building, and networking opportunities. And so part of that vision is to ensure that there's full access for minorities in transportation by preparing and positioning leaders for rapidly evolving global opportunities. We have 37 chapters throughout five regions of the United States and one chapter representing Toronto in the region in Canada. And it's important to note that the Conference of Minority Transportation Official includes all underutilized, all underrepresented groups, ethnicities, gender, age, ability, orientation, service status, and diversity in lived experiences. Sarah, for WTS, tell me a little bit about how you involve young people, particularly young women, in getting more involved with transportation, please. Sure. Thanks, Bernie. And yeah, WTS, you know, we we are a 45-year-old um, professional organization, very similar to to Compto and, and young professionals in transportation around kind of the start of, of our organization. We look to bring women and underrepresented uh, populations into the industry. Um, one of the great things um, at WTS is we have about 23 student chapters across North America. These connect in with our professional chapters. We have 67 uh, professional chapters across North America. But one of the things that we're proud of at WTS is in our chapter model is giving the opportunity to get involved in the programming and in board experience. So all of our chapters are 100% volunteer run. Um, and so we have committee chair positions. You can get involved in scholarship and programming and awards, and you can get involved in our boards as well um, and be a volunteer um, at the board level. And this is an opportunity that is available at any at any stage of, of your career, but is, is very critical in the early stages of your career because it gives you that experience um, that many don't think about and can be resume building and help in that advancement. For instance, if you're someone who maybe doesn't doesn't manage a budget in your day job, you can join um, and, and become a chapter treasurer, which gives you that opportunity to put together the budget, manage the budget. And now when you're you know sitting in for that next interview, you're able to talk about that experience. We involve young professionals in, in that way and then have, have really worked to connect our student chapters in with that professional uh, chapter as well. So that as you're graduating and looking for, for that career path that you're connected in, have those mentors, have those sp sponsors that can help you navigate you know, the transportation industry. Thomas, YPT doesn't have quite the same history as either WTS or Comto, but tell me about some of the recent milestones that you've accomplished there at YPT, please. Recently, we've been highlighting our YPT members uh, with a YPT Changemakers in Transportation Award, uh, which we awarded to three emerging leaders in transportation. One of the folks that we awarded this award to is actually in Compto, so very exciting. We are kind of re-emerging from the pandemic, so we've been focused on creating more in-person events. Last year, we were very focused on virtual events. I was involved in organizing uh, some of our speaker series events last year, specifically the one with Antrax CEO Stephen Gardner for their high-speed rail slash new era of rail virtual event, which is very exciting. A lot of attendees for that. But yeah, right now we're just 
very focused on kind of increasing the membership value by hosting more in-person events, tours, meet and greets, networking, speed networking, stuff like that. So that is some of the stuff that we've been working on here at YPT. And again, I imagine some of these challenges are similar across all three of your organizations, but perhaps each of you has a, a somewhat different perspective. Sarah, let me ask you, in terms of some of the greatest challenges that you see today in terms of people advancing their careers and moving into leadership or management roles, what are some of the things that you would identify as the greatest challenges? This is a great, great question and is something that I think the the answer has really changed coming out of the pandemic and the um, influence and, and consequences that the, that the pandemic had, especially on the advancement of women. Um, so something that we're starting to see in the data that's being produced uh, that we're highly concerned about is kind of a hollowing out of the pipeline for those senior positions. And so in the last Women in the Workplace study, we saw that for entry entry level, women and men were at about 50%. We're, we're pretty equal. However, as we start to look into that pipeline and start to make you know, the promotion to the, to the first tier manager into senior vice president, that's when we start to see those gaps increase between men and women. Um, and something that's coming out of, coming out of the pandemic, that pipeline of your next level, your vice president, director, manager, we're starting to see less women in those positions. And so we're concerned as we would look out into the future that we're going to start to see that gap widen um, at the at the kind of C-suite and senior leadership level. And we're starting to see, I think one of the, the greatest challenges is we're starting to see people opt out. So we're starting to see that you are highly qualified. You absolutely can do that job. You're absolutely um, eligible for it within the company, but you're choosing not to apply. And that has to do with the fact that, you know, you're taking on more work within the company, more unpaid work. So women are traditionally, you know, the ones that are taking on some of the EDI initiatives. They're the ones taking on some of the social activities within the company. And then they're also taking on more unpaid work at home. They're still the majority at home that are that are work that are doing all the household chores, that are taking care of grocery shopping, taking care of children, taking care of elderly care. And so they're just choosing to opt out. They're saying, you know, although this promotion would be great, I don't want, you know, I don't want the extra hours. I don't want the extra stress. I don't want, you know, the culture that's being created at that senior leadership level. I don't want that. And that's not the balance that I want at home for my family. It doesn't work for me. And so I would say that as we think about, you know, we think about this into the future is understanding and supporting our workforce where they are. And so that includes, you know, flexibility options, it includes scheduling options, you know, that ability to, you know, take off for a doctor's appointment for a child, be at home when the bus arrives, but then come back into work. Um, and it includes benefits like, like childcare and commuting benefits. You know, we've seen through the pandemic, you know, that people moved around and, and live in different places than they, than they had before. And so what does, what does that look like for them to commute into the office these days? So as we think about kind of those challenges um, and advancing um, minorities in, in, into leadership positions, it really is kind of really supporting them where they are and making sure that we're building a culture that is supportive so they want to take those next career jumps. Alicia, from Comptos and your perspective, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges? 
During the pandemic and even with the slow return to in-person work, some of the organic mentorship and opportunities disappeared. Um, it's those casual conversations around the coffee machine and spontaneously pulling a junior colleague into a meeting to observe. Um, in a hybrid professional environment, it takes a real intention to foster this type of professional development. So one thing managers can do is use mid-year and annual reviews strategically to allow their employees to express their area of interest and growth. Also, managers can support their employees' participation in associations like Compto and WTS and others that help foster development in areas they may not have the opportunity to in their current role in an environment that allows them to learn and network in a safe space with professional colleagues who want to use them to succeed. Bernie, if I if I could kind of even piggyback off of that, uh, the point that Alicia made was was great, and and we've talked a lot about that at WTS as well. Is the proximity bias um, that exists in 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 kind of the promotions, um, and that you right you you know what you see, and so if there's someone coming into the office who's at that water cooler every day, and you know you know that they've got a, a child in college, and you know and 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 a, and a sick parent, and that promotion would mean a lot to them you know, that's in your mind, but the person that is sitting at home, working from home, who might be raising young kids who you don't see as often uh, is less on your mind. And so you're promoting that person that's that's coming into the office and the bias that might exist um, in their situations and, 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 and what allows them to come into the office or not be in the office. And so that's a great, great point, Alicia, of just as we think about kind of that promotion is, is setting up structures in place that your promotion, your interview, that panel that's involved in that, it truly is a process um, to help eliminate some of that bias. Sarah brought up an interesting point when she was talking about people opting out of advancing further in management because of culture. From all three of your perspectives, and why don't we start with you, Thomas, tell me a little bit about cultural barriers that you see existing and how you think those might be changed. Because if the culture doesn't change, the barriers are still going to be there, it would seem. I guess young professionals have always had, you know, a cultural barrier to kind of networking with folks in middle management or in senior leadership positions. And I, I agree with what Alicia was saying. Uh, we need a little bit of spontaneity, which might not exist when we're working virtually, but does exist when you're in the office, you know, hanging out at the proverbial water cooler. I find that like young professionals really need mentorship and community. And like, I totally agree. Like we need to expand access to that mentorship and community for folks that are working virtually and might have different situations that prohibit them from actually coming in every single day, whether it's by choice or not. I think that's just the way that you get folks to stay in the industry is by building that community. And maybe that's not something that you can do during office hours, but it's certainly something that you can do after hours. Just provide those options and opportunities for folks and connect with each other. Alicia, do you see some of these cultural barriers as well? Are there different ones that maybe you're seeing? Yes. Well, part of it, the culture is that people don't even know what the culture is anymore because of the detachment that we have with people working virtually, like including myself, I'm remote right now. So there's, you know, a goal that leadership 
needs to, you know, in these organizations, not only in collaborating in these partnerships, but also internally with working with their teams to make sure that they're communicating to everyone, the people who are in the office and who are not, to make sure that they are aware of what is important, what the information from each other is very important in the interaction, whether it's remotely or in person, that that dynamic continues, but they also know that we're here to support. There's a steps that leadership needs to take to make sure that that happens, but it's also engaging people that are frontline employees. It's engaging all of the parties and stakeholders in that and being a party to that. Um, so it really is sometimes the detachment. And I know that people don't always know how to make the effort to reconnect or connect with the culture of an organization or even really having it defined for them. So it's about leadership defining it and then people taking it and moving it forward and having it become a way of life. And like uh, Thomas was saying, not just on the in the workplace, but also socially and being connected with what's going on with in people's lives to stay focused on that these are human beings that we're working with, that they, we understand that there's different dynamics to it. We're less aware of what those stigmas are because of the way that business is done nowadays after the pandemic. And it's going to be like that for a while. So we do have to make adjustments and figure out what works best and best practices. And that's from collaborating and partnering with YPT and also WTS and other organizations to see what they're doing and how they're staying connected. Sarah, I think you already articulated what some of the cultural challenges are, but how do you overcome some of those? How do we get past the point where people are being expected to do extra work at no pay as they move into these higher positions? Yeah, I think I think we have to be, you know, more more intentional in in the culture that we set. I think we have to be more intentional in 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 speaking up for ourselves and for others. If you're sitting in a, in a meeting and you notice, you know, it's the same person that's asked to take the minutes every single time, um, you know, and, and there's not a, you know, a, a set, you know, recorder of that meeting, you know, that, that you, st- you, you speak up and you say, you know, I think it might be someone else's turn or someone spoken over and continuously interrupt. You know, I think one of the things that I think we all do here is, you know, is, is helping and building allies too, um, and building people that will that will speak up when some of these microaggressions and bias are are being noted. And I think, you know, the other piece of this too is, you know, being intentional. We have people that are remote. We have people that are in the office. Being intentional through our training and understanding, you know, through the pandemic, a lot of that training got recorded. And now, you know, even even if you're someone who's on site five days a week, your onboarding might be, uh, you know, videos and you're sat in a room and, you know, that connection, that in-person connection has gone away. And 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 I think through the pandemic, we we were hurt kind of by understanding different people's learning styles and understanding that some people are, are visual learners, some people are auditory learners, some people need to sit in the classroom and talk it out with some people and mm-hmm. ask questions. You know, we need to be understanding of that. And that's something that is also changing generationally as well. You know, I'll share, you know, even in, in, in my own office, um, you know, I'm someone who I, I want a piece of paper in front of me. I need to take notes. That helps me digest, right? I need, I'm constantly writing. 
you know, I have some people on staff that do that by, by their laptop and they've grown up and they've had a computer in front of them from kindergarten on. Um, and I know it was recently at a meeting where I was kind of like, I feel like you're just typing in every meeting and I don't know that you're paying attention. And they turn their laptop around and they're like, here are the notes from our meeting. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you have more detail and more, like you can recall more from this meeting than I can in my, you know, scribbles that I've, and I was like, okay, like you, you know, you, you win, you're right. You, you absolutely can have your laptop in every meeting. And so I think, you know, we have to just be intentional and thoughtful about how we're training and making sure we're meeting people with a learning style that they need and the tools that they need to be successful. Many of the listeners to this podcast work at the various state DOTs around the country. One of the features of the IIJA, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, emphasized workforce development. As states are making decisions about how they're going to allocate those funds, how do you think they might best do that? Alicia, why don't we start with you? Paid internships and apprenticeship programs, paid um, that allow individuals to have a real world experience in their field of choice. This benefits new professionals entering the workforce and existing employees who may need retraining so as not to be left behind by new and emerging technologies. Um, they should also use these funds to educate employers on the benefits of hiring persons with disabilities, including neurodiverse candidates. Sarah, your thoughts? Agree 100% uh, with Alicia, I guess, to, to start. Um, and I would, I would kind of just add on the, that kind of retraining um, of the workforce, not only as, as there's new technologies and new innovations, retraining the, the workforce that we have, but also understanding that we're in a time where we've got every, every uh, industry is having a workforce shortage right now. And people are using this opportunity to change careers how can we help people come into transportation who may be former teachers, who may be former nurses, who may, I mean, wherever, how do we train you? Um, so how can we put some of those funds into kind of that retraining and retooling to help strengthen our workforce? And Thomas, what about you? I completely agree with what Alicia and Sarah said. Definitely at the baseline, any sort of work should be paid, including internships, including apprenticeships. That's the baseline, right? From what I've seen, and this is kind of me putting on my Amtrak hat, I've seen on the rail side of things that the most successful workforce development programs, they don't exist in a silo. States have to foster partnerships with transportation providers, operators, manufacturers, unions, universities, community colleges, and even high schools. So starting even at like 16 is like the most powerful and impactful thing that we could do if we want to encourage growth in the industry. So definitely partnerships. One thing that all three of you have mentioned, you talked about mentorships. For people who are listening to this, whether they're in the public sector, the private sector, or academia, why is it important for them to get involved with those kinds of mentorship programs for young people, people who are just getting started in, in the industry, as Sarah talked about, maybe people who formerly were teachers or nurses or people who just want to advance their careers? Sarah, how about we start with you? The transportation industry is so vast and you are never going to know it all. 
And so having those mentors that can help guide you, it can help provide their knowledge and experience, provide you kind of guidance when you're, when you're dealing with difficult situations um, is extremely important. And I would say something, you know, the piece of advice that I would give is to find, to find yourself both a mentor and a sponsor. And the mentor is going to be someone who's going to provide that guidance and support for you. And that sponsor is going to be the person that's going to advocate for you when you're not in the room. They're going to be the one who, you know, calls up a, a friend and says, hey, you may not have a position available, but you really need to find one for this person. They are phenomenal. Um, and you need both. They both have a different role um, and a different importance um, in your career advancement. Um, and so, you know, coming out um, in, or coming into this industry at, at any age, at any at level, you know, it is to find that, that mentor and that sponsor. Thomas, why do you think? mentorships are so important for the professionals who already have established themselves in their career to be mentors for young people and others. I feel like if you want to advance in transportation or in any industry or just like on a personal level, like having a mentor and like kind of creating a sort of board of directors, like a personal board of directors can be incredibly helpful. Obviously, we all need the support but there are some like very basic things that might not be completely obvious to someone who's just starting out. So just having that extra push and extra support is incredibly helpful. I know I wouldn't be where I am today without many, many mentors starting from high school, college, even now I still consider most of my coworkers mentors. I would also say that mentors need young professionals just as much as we need them. It is a symbiotic relationship without any communication with young professionals. You, as a mentor or as someone who's more established in transportation, might miss out on a few trends, might miss out on better ways of working on things, might miss out on various opportunities. So I think it's a, it's a, very important relationship on both sides. And Alicia, you get the last word. What are your thoughts about mentorships and their value? Right, I think they're so extremely important uh, because like probably a lot of my colleagues, I kind of fell into transportation and this new generation, we don't want them to fall into transportation. We want them to be guided and to desire to have careers and um, build their lives around transportation, the transportation industry. And the mentors that I had as I transitioned from an analyst to vice president of bus operations, if I had had them before, I would have probably been in transportation 40 years as opposed to 20 something years because they would have been able to guide me. There are so many people that I've mentored and that I have been a mentee that it has led me to opportunities that I never even dreamed of. And that's just being in the transportation industry. There's other kinds of industries and things like that. But with the fact that a lot of my generation had no idea what transportation offered um, until I got a mentor who actually was in transportation and, and showed me what was available, I would not have had the opportunities. I all I thought of, you know, transportation were the big buses on the streets, and that there was nothing else to that. And the fact that 
as you mentor these young people being over programs for like the internship program, they're starting to learn there's so many opportunities like the planning, there's general counsel. So there's legal ramifications in transportation. There's so many facets to career paths. And that comes from helping people by being mentors. And as Sarah said, by sponsoring young professionals to guide them into transportation. I just think it's key. Our guests on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast have been Alicia Walker. She is the Director of Programs and Strategic Engagement of Comto. Thomas Davidenko, a Government Affairs Specialist for Amtrak, as well as Director of Programs in Young Professionals in the Transportation Sector. And Sarah Stickler, she is the President and CEO of WTS International. Alicia, Thomas, Sarah, thanks so much for being my guest on Ashto's ETAP podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure.